Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm Charles Rogers. I'm Calvin Keener. I've seen a lot of Star Wars. Yes! <laughs> you did the thing! I did do the, did thing. the thing. I uh, I always send, when I send our guests an onboarding email, if they're another podcast host when I'm talking about the introductions, I always say, if you want to, you can always introduce yourself the way that you do on your show. So Calvin just did that, much to my glee. Am I the first person who's done that? Uh, you are not. Steph okay, did good. A, Steph did a variation on it. Uh, she introduced herself as, uh, I think, the woman half of this show or the woman half of her show. Right. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of your show, Calvin, uh, tell us a little bit about First Steps. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So I am a host on First Steps, a Star Wars podcast, a chronological journey from the Phantom Menace to the Rise of Skywalker, one arc at a time. So it's a podcast. I started this podcast because I have a friend who has never who had never seen any Star Wars. So I'm introducing them to all of Star Wars, all of its visual media, movies, and TV shows in chronological order. So that means Clone Wars before the Revenge of the Sith. It's going to be Bad Batch, Solo, Rebels, and Rogue One before the OT, before they ever even see the OT. Oh, wow. We're exposing them to this world in this order and seeing how that just affects their perception of the universe and characters. You know, what's your view of Revenge of the Sith if you know who Ahsoka is and her entire arc with Anakin before she left the Jedi Order? Right. And so, yeah. yeah it's uh, super interesting. And, yeah. and y'all, like, you're blowing through it. Yeah, we do like, several we do several arcs in an individual oh, podcast yeah. episode. I kind of wish we would slow down sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's great yeah. because like it's moving along at a clip, and yeah, yeah, Andy's their perspective on it is super interesting to me. Like having been steeped in Star Wars basically my whole life, I can't imagine a world where I don't know. For example, that Darth Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't know that Vader tosses the Emperor down the shaft, and he's not listening to this show because we're going to spoil Book of Boba Fett for them. But right. I, so I'm comfortable saying that, but it's super interesting to hear like them reacting to. Oh, I wonder them trying to figure out what the Last Jedi means. Yeah, is super <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> That's awesome. it's like the only name that they know that they know two star wars movies names off the top of their head it's revenge of the sith because we reference that movie so often and then the last jedi because that's a really fucking cool name for a movie so oh that is absolutely yeah. badass yeah absolutely yeah. badass and i will say it is good to be on a podcast where i can actually talk about the scope of the entire star wars universe and i don't have to censor myself <laughs> i that was part of the reason I asked you on. Yeah. I was like, oh, no. They're always having to censor themselves on the podcast. Well, let's give them an opportunity to actually talk about some current Star Wars production. <laughs> yep. So, Bradley, I don't think we have any news this week other than I'm sad. Oh, because your book. The Fallen Star. Public book. The Fallen Star <laughs> is literally traumatizing. Okay. You don't understand this. Mm -hmm. It hurt my soul. I cried at work. Oh, God. There were tears that were shed. I am emotionally devastated and I will not recover from this. He's just shaking his head. 
He's just shaking his head. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't relate. I just really can't. I really can't. Because, you know, I'll be reading a, like a paragraph of a book or something. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, did I miss a word? And then I have to like go back and like reread the same paragraph. So like, I don't get the emotional weight of the paragraph or whatever I'm reading. Because I'm just like, did I make a mistake? I have to go back and read it. I don't remember what I said. I've recently discovered audiobooks, uh, particularly anyone that Mark Thompson narrates. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to get Bradley onto those. I'm trying to convince him, like, hey, you should listen to the audiobook. I mean, the Audible subscription or, you know, use your public library, Overdrive. Uh, that's what I use for audiobooks. That is true. Mm. Bradley, how are we on that Audible sponsorship? You know, they haven't contacted us yet. But I'm telling you, like, guys, Audible, if you're listening, like, if you <laughs> give us a, some kind of, like, advertisement or something, I'll read anything you want me to read. I'll do it on every episode of the podcast. I'll even make it different every single time. I won't even just plug it in. I'll just do a different one every time. If you give us one and you give me a free subscription to Audible, I'll read all these stupid ass books or listen well, to them. Yeah, we've got to replace that anchor ad with something at some point. I know. I'm like, oh, it's so boring. I want something else. I know I that. I, I was about to quote your anchor ad at you, actually. I was, about to, I was about to say something like, and I know everyone's been waiting for us to talk about anchor, but. You slightly beat me. Uh, you slightly beat me to the reveal that you guys also have that on there. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's one that a lot of like first, you know, beginning podcasters use. Though it's, I mean, it's not to get into that. It is easy to use. It it, yeah. it is. It is absolutely easy to use. I hear from Bradley, who's the one that actually yeah. has to post the episodes. It's easy uh, to use. It's. Uh, I'm just kidding. I was gonna do my whole entire thing. Um, I Audible's gonna have to cut us a bigger check. Yeah, exactly. Well, if there's no news other than I'm sad and we'll never recover from this, let's just dive right into the episode. Bradley, do you want to give us the summary of the Book of Boba Fett, episode two, uh, not a book title, which was very disappointing to me? Uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot we were going to check and see. I totally forgot about that. So you're going to have to remind me on that one. But I will will make sure to bring up to you if any other books have... Or um, any other episode. Any other yeah. t- t- episode title. <laughs> words. Words. I'm a professional <laughs> podcaster. Professional in huge air quotes. Give us a summary, please. This week, Boba Fett figures out he may not be the only one in charge on Tatooine. During his flashbacks, we see him helping his new Tuscan friends and finally being accepted as one of their own. Calvin. On our show, we like to name two things you liked and one thing you did not. Or I'm sorry, one thing you liked and one thing you did not. All right. Uh, well, one thing that I really liked was uh, at, at the very end, the carving of the Gaffy stick. Like I, I really, like one of my personal favorite arcs in Clone Wars is the, the gathering, the lightsaber building. And so like those kind of coming of age process, processes that different cultures have are always really fascinating to me um disliked the visual of the lizard going up the nose that made me gag (laughs) i love that that's such a specific thing you're like i didn't like the lizard going up his nose one of the more visceral experiences i've had while watching star wars i will say i think it speaks to boba fett's badassery that uh the lizard goes up his nose and his reaction is to do a one-liner and people are like boba fett's not badass in this I'm like, have you had something go up your nose like that? Have you taken a COVID test recently? Right. You don't want a one-liner after that. Charles, what about you? What was one thing you liked, one thing you did? One thing I really liked, we're going to put a pin in a thing I really liked. 
Okay. And here's why. There is a moment in this episode. I watched it at midnight when it dropped right. uh, because I'm an insane person. There was a moment where I had, I screamed. <laughs> I actively screamed at my computer, okay. paused the screen, got up, walked away, <laughs> petted my cat for a minute, sat there, and then walked back, <laughs> rewound it, and played it again because I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. And we will get to what that moment is. Okay. Uh, one thing that I disliked about this episode, it's such, it's such a minor nitpick. It's such a minor, minor nitpick. But I feel like the opening scene of this episode should have been in the last episode. Mm. And that's where we talked about on the last episode, how it just felt like it abruptly cut off right. the, the present day storyline. If this scene had been shifted and that had been right after, and then we had ended with the last flashback of him being freed and, and becoming like almost like a foundling in the tribe. And that's where we'd ended. Then I feel like it, it would have been better so it's not even a thing I disliked about this episode. I just wish something from this episode had been in the last episode. Yeah, I I, I don't want to like jump to it, but like my my thing I disliked was the, the exact same thing. Is like I felt like that the first half of the episode, not not even the first half, but you know what I mean, like the first fifteen minutes or so of this episode could have been cut, put in the first premiere episode, made it a little bit longer, slightly longer. And then it would have been a perfect, I mean, a solid, perfect premiere episode if you would have just had that one bit. I think right where it cuts off is um, the introduction of our new, two new characters or three new characters. I don't want to go into it yet what they are, but that, that scene where we meet the antagonists of the season, essentially, mm-hmm. that is where the first episode premiere should have cut off right when Fennec Shan says, you know, we're going to have to get permission to kill them, right? Oh, like, you would have had it right where it would you would have had it the whole. Okay. Yep. I would have only right there added, is what I would have cut it off. I would have only added up to the title card. See, I, I would have I ended think, with I think you need the mayor it. visit. I think you need up to that point because it sets up the whole season. Mm-hmm. So I think if you would have cut it off right there, it would have been such a dramatic like cutoff too. And then everybody would have been talking about it. Not that they aren't already are all talking about it anyway. But they would have been like, wow, that was such a fucking good premiere episode. Like, if you would have ended it on those three characters at the end, like, that would have been like, fuck. And then yeah, I okay. guess you can kind of tell what I liked about the episode, too. But <laughs> what, those what three did characters. You, it was those three. It was that scene. Yeah, I, I mean, that scene alone, I think it's because, one, because uh, I hit things on my bingo card. Um, but two, because it's just something I put on the bingo card as like a joke. Like, like, what if we see these things and then, fuck, we saw these things. And I was like, oh my, okay, whoa, wait, something's happening with this show that I wasn't expecting, which was like, my expectations are going like through the roof because I had zero to begin with. And then you're meeting them slash exceeding them double time. So it was, it was wild, but overall great episode. Okay. Take us, take us into your first section there, Bradley. So chapter two begins with Fennec Shan bringing back her captured bounty to Boba, where she tricks him into spilling the beans about who hired the assassin. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that I literally just watched Return of the Jedi 
last weekend and the door opening shot Mm -hmm. where she's bringing the guy up and the door slowly opens from inside is like a perfect replica of the same two shots from Return of the Jedi. We learn, uh, we get a little more clues as to what uh, certain words mean because somebody said them on the podcast last week. Uh, I was actually kind of shocked when the uh, assassin uh, cursed uh, at Boba and said that. And I was like, oh, that's funny because I said that on the episode last week. (laughs) I was so happy. I was so happy when that happened because I was like, oh, I'm going to bring it up. It feels like it's like a like a direct curse. Like it's not just a bad word. Yeah. It's like the Star Wars equivalent of like, fuck you. Right. Is almost kind of what it feels like to me from the way Boba reacts. Order of the Nightwind is new. Um, I don't remember it ever coming up before. Uh, I did love Fennec's uh, line about them pay- you're paying for the name. She's so badass in this episode. <laughs> She's so badass in this episode. Later uh, on when she character. like clicks the gun and in a later scene, like when she's doing the stand-up, oh, I love her. I love her. We stand Ming-No in here. And she's also got like the most character moments in this scene because she literally, she's kind of driving the whole scene anyway because not only does she bring the prisoner in, then she takes her place next to Boba. And then she's like, so who are you? Like, you know, tell us who you are. And then he's like, I'm not, you know, they're not going to tell the droid or whatever. Is like, they'll never tell because they're this super great assassins. And she's like, yeah, I mean, okay. Like I've dealt with them before. Like it's not that. I'm master assassin Finnick Shand. Mm -hmm. Mind your business. And then, and then she's the one that actually pulls the quote unquote rancor door to drop the guy down. And like, she just reaches down and does it. I love that the Gamorrean guards just habitually put the prisoner on top of the rancor trap door. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I think they're just used to like, well, Jabba would put them right there just in case. Like, <laughs> Yep, we're just going to do things like Jabba did. Speaking of the Rancor pit, did anyone else think it was weird that there was a rat in it? Mm, like, no. an- I can get into this a little bit later, but I was just, this, this episode of Boba Fett was just full of Dune references for me. And so seeing the little mouse was, I was just like, Muadib. But anyway... Uh, oh yeah, you're right. It is full of Dune references, but I will let you tell us all about them. <laughs> because I've only seen the movie. Although I, I very intently watched the movie. It was full of very hot men. Look, if you put Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, uh, Timothy Chalamet, all in a movie. Yeah. And a bunch of badass ladies when the hot men are not on screen. Yeah, I'm going to pay attention to your I mean, look, I'm gay, but like, I'm... Zendaya, like, does it for me, you know? I mean... Yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. I would let Ming-Na Wen step on my neck. Not even, like, as a sexual thing. If I have to go, that's the way that I'm okay with going. (laughs) No... The rat is there. This is super fascinating. The rat is actually apparently there because if you watch Return of the Jedi, there are actual rats in the Rancor pit. So it's a callback to that. If you look closely, you can see rats in the Rancor pit. 
So canonically, there were already rats there. I can see both of you like trying to get through <laughs> mentally this scene of where the rats like, are. are. Are we doing the thing again where we talk about like, is it a reference or is it just a thing that exists in the universe that we just accept? This one kind of straddles the line. <laughs> I don't know. Because it's a thing that feels like it shouldn't be in the universe. I thought but it was it just is. a joke. Like it was a joke that was like he was expecting a giant rancor and then now there's like a tiny little mouse and he was afraid for nothing. I think that was the joke. That is the joke. But the reason it's not like a space mouse is because you can see like rats, like earth rats in the scene in Return of the Jedi. So they're already established to being there. I They should have just put a fucking space rat in there, like the one from Dune. And then I would have been happy with that. Uh, well, I mean, we can't we can't rip off Dune too much. George <laughs> Lucas already did that. It is Star Wars after all, so that is true. We do we do a lot of ripping off Dune here. And then the title card comes up, the and it's not a fucking of, book. It's the not tribes a of Tatooine book. is not a book. The tribes of Tatooine is not a book that You're I'm aware it's of. Not a famous sci-fi novel book where every episode was supposed to be a title of a sci-fi novel, and now they just ruined it. Look, I'm incredibly disappointed because I thought I was going to be able to actually teach you some things about literature. And now the only book that you've been introduced to is Stranger in a Strange Land. And as I mentioned in our previous episode, Robert Heinlein can absolutely go drive off a cliff. I I do not like that that man, nor his work, in the slightest. I, I am livid that this is the only book that you have learned about was this Martian sex cult book. So, Book of Boba Fett, you have truly disappointed me in this regard. You have made me sad. Bradley, can we hear about the next section of scenes before (laughs) I go on a tangent about the Martian sex cult book again? Up next, we head back to Mos Espa, where Boba and company confront the mayor, only to find out the mayor may not be the one pulling the strings. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like Machais knew that the assassins were coming, but like he wasn't the one who said, you know, who paid the money to have them right. go. Mark Shays knows way more than he's letting on. At well, all and time. I told you, I told you last week, remember, I said that um, Garza also, like, I told you that the way she was talking about was seemed very like demeaning, like, like, oh, I, re- I know you're not in charge. Like, oh, I'm like, babyfying you like i'm pacifying you by telling you you're in charge Go ahead, Pat. right like she's she's like oh yeah 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 you're in charge yeah that's okay but she knows and the mayor knows like who really is in charge and so that's why like she's like oh well you, you know what she's really doing hear. you know what she's doing in episode one she's doing the customer service voice <laughs> i just now realized that she's doing the thing where a customer is coming in and being entitled and you don't want to piss them off so you're like yeah, sure. Absolutely, absolutely, sir. I will look right into that for I can absolutely go check the back. 100 100 percent Yeah. I will definitely go check in the back for you. <laughs> I just realized that's what she's doing. Uh speaking of customer service people, uh, I have never related to anyone harder than I related to that clerk. <laughs> um first of all, the clerk is hilarious. <laughs> Um, just because like, I don't know what they're doing with the clerk and the major domo, but like, there's just the characterization of like, like, you're not really that important. Like, I know my job is important, so I'm going to do my job, but like, 
you're just a unruly customer that I have to deal with and like I don't care about you they both act that way towards him and it's so funny just the characterization of both of them um I thought they were fucking hilarious red tape is so funny when you're not the one having to go through it oh yeah like on the one hand, we empathize with Boba Fett because this is right. frustrating and he wants to deal with it. But on the other hand, <laughs> I mean, the dude's right. He did walk in without an appointment. That's right. Do you have an appointment? There's all these other people sitting here waiting to see the mayor and they have appointments. So I don't know what you're doing here. I'm sorry, your claim to fame is you appeared in two films in the 70s and 80s. but For less than two minutes. For less than two minutes. But there you go. <laughs> Um, you want to hear a fun fact about this uh, actor, though? I would love to. Can you tell us this actor's name? We'll yes. start with that. Well, his name was Galen Howard. Um, and thanks to the lovely website IMDb, I learned that he was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> so every actor this season, Calvin, I don't know if you know this. But so far, every single person that we've ever, like, delved into so far, everybody's been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know what it is. So Ming-Na Wei paved the road for all these people to be on the goddamn show because they were all on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have not watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm only just now starting Daredevil, so we'll get through that. But, mm. yeah, that's fun. I mean, You're you gonna have, have to watch time. it. I think it's just, like, it's just interesting. Like, he's only been in one episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it's not like he's, like, super important or anything. But it's just funny that all these actors are just like coming over to the Star Wars universe and the Marvel universe because like we always talk about the Disney trifecta where if you can get into three things, you've achieved the Disney trifecta. And so far, really, only Ming-Na Wen has really achieved that for us. 1.5, Ming-Na Wen achieved it in films. And Ming-Na Wen being in a Disney film and being a Disney princess and being a headliner in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and being a headliner in Book of Boba, no one will top her. But there is one other person we found who completed the Disney trifecta, and it was one of the shuttle pilots from Season 2, Episode 8 of Mandalorian, was also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Saving Mr. Banks. The classic film, but, you know. <laughs> Which we are technically counting as a Disney film, since it is Disney propaganda. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. It's a Walt Disney Studios, I think, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of actors... Speaking of actors, uh, I did miss bringing up Paul Darnell. I just want to bring up Paul Darnell real fast. He's the guy who plays our Nightwind assassin. Big stunt guy. Big stunt guy. He's been a stunt double. Just looking at his IMDb page, which, yes, I know, Pablo, it's it's not 100% correct, but it's the best I've got to work with. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Pablo Hidalgo. Please stay on Twitter. Don't let anyone bully you off it. You are a light in my in the darkness of my world this guy Paul Darnell he's done stunts for the Mandalorian he's done a lot of stunts for the Mandalorian just a lot of episodes uh including stunt doubling for Timothy Oliphant in the Marshall he has done stunts for Spider-Man Far From Home he's done stunts for Jurassic World he's done stunts for he was Robert Pattinson's stunt double in the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1. And there's a photo on IMDb of them standing next to each other. So they didn't do part two? Like, I don't understand. Like, what happened there? Like, didn't do doesn't part. look like he did part two. Darn. <laughs> so that is opportunity. That is our uh, although he did he was his stunt double in Twilight. Oh the original well, there Twilight. You go. So he came back for the last one. Good for him. Yeah, or he came, yeah, he came back for the the penultimate one. Yeah. Right. 
that's our facts about Paul Darnell okay. and Galen Howard. I just wanted to share that. We talked last week about Moss Espa, how Moss Espa looking pretty good compared to 40 years ago. Um, yeah. So I, I paused it and I actually was kind of looking to see whether or not it would be conceivable that uh, the Nabu ship, the yacht landed outside and Anakin lives like literally on the outskirts of the city and it it is 100 feasible that that's what's going on but the city's always looks like this but qui-gon jinn and his infinite wisdom ducked into the first used car dealership after he crossed into city limits and was like yeah i'm gonna stake the future of the galaxy on this one used car salesman um i noticed in the town too i don't know if this if you picked up on this but there's a lot of trend oceans like, yeah that was my next note so okay good so we know the dinner party scene is coming up. Right. That's probably There's the a next episode. Ocean in episode one. There was a di- the dinner party scene that's coming. So I think the Trandoshans are supposed to be, in- they're going to be important somehow. Yeah, because there's a lot of them. And I've noticed that one, uh, the costuming for the Trandoshans, again, is so good. Like they look so like vigilant. I don't know <laughs> how else to say it. Like they like very much like, like their eyes and look like they follow you and everything. Yeah, they're creepy and and not to jump ahead but the the creatures that appear later that are practical effects so some of them are digital but there's one in particular that is a practical guy in a suit Un- unbelievable they went all out for guys in suits in this episode in, in this series which i mean it's the book of boba fett so you'd imagine minor little fact uh the voice of the mayor uh is once again Robert Rodriguez doing his best D. Bradley Baker and Corey Burton impression and trying to voice everyone. <laughs> I did you think the voice was weird? Uh no. Well, on my first watch through, yes. On my second watch through, no. Okay. I, I just so, thought it was weird, but you know, I think in a good way it was weird. It it lends to the vibe of him like he's softly knowing more than what he puts on what he's letting on that also the translator doesn't hurt yeah (laughs) it does seem to be a general theme though of people knowing more than they're letting on in this show uh his line of running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting it feels like almost a direct callback to bounty hunting is a complicated profession okay it's like poetry It, it rhymes yes it rhymes before we get into the next section and this, because this is a kind of a hint of the next section when he says that. So do we see the connection now? What he means when he says running a family is harder than... Bounty that. hunting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So would you have known at this point, because he said family. So would you have known that that's what he was talking about at this point? Uh, no. Oh. No. <laughs> no. That didn't catch on to anybody. I didn't catch when, it. I'm just saying. No, I mean, like, on. I just got Sopranos crime family vibes, you know? Right. Which was... I'm going to slightly address some of the criticisms of the show. I don't agree with them, but I I am going to address them. A lot of people were like expecting this dark and gritty mafia story. And one thing I like about the show is those elements are still present in the show. Right. There's a line that will come up later that is a direct mob reference. Like it just flat is a thing in the actual real life mafia that is going to come up in this show. So that stuff is definitely present. It's not the focus of the show, but it's kind of there in the background. So now quick question. You think that this 
the first episode should have ended before we meet the mayor or uh, after? Before we meet the mayor. I think okay. it should have ended when the so guy the line says, with, we should go meet the mayor. We should that go should meet the, the mayor. The Boom. Okay. That's the end, end of the episode. Okay. I, I, I agree. I think that would also be a good stopping point. You could even do everything up to when he steals the swoop bikes, jump back, do the thing that's coming up, the sanctuary, and then the scene right after the sanctuary, and then go back to the Tuscans. So it is kind of weird that it's all the present day stuff is front loaded. And then the back half of it is the flashback stuff. It's not yeah, back because and forth like the other one. We, this, once I do the intro for this next scene, like this is it for the future, basically, or the, the present on, day for the most part. On the other hand, though, they do have to stick to the framing device of the back to tank. Yeah, like if they weren't sticking to the back to tank, triggering the flashbacks and stuff, I would like say be a proponent of like having all the present day stuff being the pilot and then a trip to the past for Escape of the Sarlacc for episode two for Escape of the Sarlacc Pit and everything that we got at the Tuscans in episode one and to, and this week. But also we've got more of the Tuscans coming or more of the past coming up because we got another, you know, four and a half years to cover before we spot <laughs> yeah. him in Mandalorian. So right. we need, we need to know why is he not currently with the Tuscans? What happened? Right. <laughs> Seemed like he was getting on pretty well with them. Up next, Boba and crew head to the sanctuary to get some answers from Garza. Unfortunately, they find two, as we realize that Jabba's cousins, the twins, are taking an interest of Jabba's old territory. My, my One of my favorite moments is Max Rebo stopping playing when the drum beats start. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know what's up. But again, we saw Max Rebo again. So... We did. This is awesome. Like we, I, I didn't think we were gonna get him twice. Now, like this is hilarious. How he's like, we thought he was a fun little Easter egg in the first episode, and now he's in the second episode. He's a he's a bona fide co star of this show. He's gonna be back in the palace by the end of the season. <laughs> you think? Oh, you know oh, what? I hope so. I will bet you anything. Calvin's right. I, I okay, let's anything. make a note of let's make a note of that now that Calvin said that, and then when we go back in the finale and we're like. Did he? Did he show up in the Did palace? He show up? The very Did end? he go to the palace? Yep. Well, I said in episode one that I thought it was important that we opened on the empty palace because the show is clearly going to be about Boba gradually starting to build alliances and power and people coming to his side and filling up the palace. Mm-hmm. So it would track that eventually Max Rebo would go there. <laughs> but I did like that he was like, oh, drum beats. I know what that means. Time to stop playing. And also by this point, I still had no idea what was happening. Like I was like, wait, what is going on here? And when I saw them turn the corner, I almost died. (laughs) When I heard the drum beats, I was like, there's no way. I just knew that there was a litter coming, you know? Yeah. I was like, there's no way that litter is going to happen. Nope. Round the corner. Not Not one, one. (laughs) but two huts. Yes. So first of all, like bingo card. Vibes. <laughs> oh, thank God, I'm not the only one. Oh, that. Oh, that was for sure part of it. That has to be part of it. Like there has to be like a thing. There's like a Jamie and Cersei thing going oh, on here. For sure. For sure. Like, I'm sorry to reference uh, that very good six season show uh, <laughs> that we all used to watch and then collectively forgot about. Oh, definitely. Like they're so creepy and weird. Well, I wish I could count that as two on my bingo card because technically I put huts on my bingo card, but I didn't put two huts. Uh, 
<laughs> so um, I need, I need an extra space. I it was close. I you did, need I Zuckus. Did. You need Zuckus and IG88 to get bingo. That's right. At this um, point. I also, and, and just as a bonus, I would have liked to see Rada the Hut. Um, uh, because if we're gonna go with Jabba's cousins, why the fuck could we not go with his son? What yeah, the hell I is was going really on? Thinking about show? that, where is Stinky? Where, where is Stinky? He's gotta Stinky be nearby. Maybe, Stinky may be too young, but it's interesting because I mentioned in the last episode yeah. that in the comics, Darth Vader actually murdered a bunch of the Hut Council. He murdered a bunch of Huts. Uh, so a lot of their power structure got decimated. So, so maybe he's like running the council like of huts right now on Nalha. Like maybe he's oh, that's where he is. I, I guess hut. I mean maybe it did take five years for the or Doctor five and change years for I don't know how long ago Darth Vader marked all the huts, but like it t- I guess it could take like that long seven. to restructure a family. Yeah, that it would because yeah, if you think about it, especially since Java gets croaked two years later, and Java was like the sole person in charge. So if you got a bunch of huts vying for power, right? And maybe here's my thought: maybe the twins like didn't get a lot of power and influence on Nalhada, and they're being given this either as like a consolation or a get out of our hair. Right. Like by a the huts. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm so curious about huts. Like, I'm like, that's why I told you in the in our episode zero. I was like, I want more huts. I want more hut things. Well, like, we you got what enough. you wanted. Yes. You got huts. And we got a lot of stuff. We've got like a pro they they work on proclamations. <laughs> they have this whole structure in place. This stuff they called the the hut is apparently like this debauched place where they just stew in their own debauchery honestly sounds fucking rad like (laughs) sounds like my kind of people here's an interesting question though they're his cousins right we know of one uncle do we think they're zero the hut's kids oh because one she the because the 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 female one or female presenting one i really don't know with huts if they're all like asexual or a like you know, because they're like slugs, so I don't really know what that means, but uh they are, I believe, uh, yeah, I believe they reproduce. I don't believe they reproduce sexually. No, it has to be like asexual I, I, I don't because... think that there are like yeah, like a male or female anatomy. No, I don't think so. I think they're just like it's more masculine and feminine presenting Present. because they don't it, really it's more like gender yeah. presentation, it feels right. like than yeah, anything to do. Yeah, which raises an excellent question of, yeah, whose kids are those? Right, because, like, when we talk about Jabba and we talk about Stinky, like, there's no, like, Jabba doesn't have, like, a quote-unquote, you know, wife slash breeding partner. So, like, we don't know. There's no lady Jabba running around. I'm thinking, yeah, like, if, quote-unquote, they are someone's kids, then that would be, I think Zero would make sense because the sister, that's what he called her, his sister or whatever, she was like a pinkish slash purplish color. So possibly Zero's kid? There's a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the absolute star of the scene, uh, which is the leftover weasel costume 
from the Suicide Squad in a bikini, in a metal bikini. In a slave uh, in Leia bikini. <laughs> which uh, just, as far as background, I praised them last episode, but they're just throwing all sorts of weird shit at us. I, I, I can't, I can't. It's too funny. It is it, giving me Slave Leia, but weasel vibes. Oh, it's what the people truly want. This is what you wanted from your Boba Fett show. You wanted uh, the leftover weasel costume from the Suicide Squad in a Slave Leia costume. Okay, let's talk about the reason I freaked out. <laughs> Wait, there's a there's another reason why you freaked there's out? I don't understand. Did something else happen in this scene that was just as jaw-dropping and exciting? <laughs> For me? So Boba's like, uh yeah your sister's right if you want my territory you're going to have to kill me and there's this like hard stomping walking sound and from the the left side of the screen from the frame emerges the back of a large hairy creature and black motherfucking chrysanthemum walks around this litter And I lost my goddamn mind because of the nature of my job. I have been able to read every single Star Wars comic. I know who Black Chrysanthemum is and I lost my shit. This was the moment. I have to ask, did either of you know who the fuck that was besides giant, scary Black Wookiee? I just saw anti-Dubaka, you know? Yeah, I, I saying I was like, oh look, evil Chewbacca is here. To he stay. fought Chewbacca. Chewbacca lost. Oh shit. Okay. Well, yeah, I had no idea who he was going in, but I was like, um, that's a cool fucking design. And I don't think we've seen a, a, a bad looking live action or in in the visual media before. So never, not once have we seen. Gotcha. Not once have we seen a Mad Claw. Not once have we seen anything remotely like this. Right, because we've only seen like Tarful or whatever in uh, Revenge of the Sith, right? Like he's like the bulkier looking Chewbacca. So I don't yeah, know that's Tarful. Tarful, Chewbacca. We've seen we've seen Sagwa in Solo Star Wars Story. Oh yeah, the skinny one. Uh, we've seen Chewbacca's family in the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, <laughs> we've seen um, Wookie Jedi, both. Uh, was it Gunji? I think. Shout out to Gunji. I love him. Yes. Yeah, that was his name. Uh, in and then Buryaga, uh, my sweet, sweet, sweet Wookiee Padawan boy in the High Republic. Yeah, no, this is the first time we've seen like a not nice Wookiee <laughs> on screen. I love Bla- it. Black Kersantan, and I love this because Boba looks at him. And goes, I don't need a gladiator. Or like, bring all the gladiators you want. Right. It's not going to affect me, like, or my decision. So about that, uh, he's 100% right. Black Chrysanthemum started out as a gladiator and became a Mm -hmm. bounty hunter. But it's a sly dig at Black Chrysanthemum. Because Black Chrysanthemum was one of, also one of Jabba's best bounty hunters. While Boba was working for him. And Boba just looks at him and is like, eh, you're like a gladiator to me. Right. But you're not even a bounty hunter. Fuck you, I guess. 
he's like go back to the fighting pits or whatever or he says something along the lines of like i'm not a sleeping guard at the fighting pits or death something. pits like, of of dwar or whatever which i checked right. and i don't think it's the same ones he was in in the comics uh, so i'm not 100 percent sure no no he uh he was a bounty hunter he worked for jabba he's been all over the comics uh i most know him from his team-ups with uh chelly afra uh shout out our lesbian indiana jones space archaeologist queen we love her <laughs> chelly afra appearance when well you say that i say that and now i'm going back to our episode zero Remember, we were talking about the trailers, and there was one trailer where there was a mysterious woman on a motorcycle or something, and we were, like, jokingly saying, like, ha, 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 that's Omega, like, but now I'm like, wait, now that they've introduced this guy, and they have such a strong connection, like, what if that's not, Dr. Afra? Uh, yeah, I can actually help you with this, but for context, Bradley has no idea who Dr. Afra is, so please do not <laughs> jump down his throat. Dr. Afra is an Asian character like very clearly Asian. So that's definitely not her. Also, that girl is way too young to be Afro. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know the timeline here with these characters. I'm just saying, is it possible she can show up now because you got him and they have such a it deep is possible. connection? Well, it's it's not impossible because now Black Chrysanthemum is here. Right. And I think she still owes him money. She probably so I, still owes him money. She owes a lot of people money. And I don't know what like her purpose would be in the show, but like, if you're gonna introduce a random ass character, why not introduce it in you know the show that we didn't know you we were getting? Yeah, Black Chrysanthemum. I, I love this guy. I love this guy. He's wonderful, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do with him. I mean, like inevitably, he's. I was talking about this with somebody earlier. Like, so if the twins are the quote unquote antagonists of the season, right? They can't actually physically do anything in the show. So, like, I think this guy is your your replacement, your physical replacement for them. So if he needs to fight at some point the bad guy, then it's like Boba it's and, and go ahead, ahead. Although, I have a theory that it'll actually be Fennec. It'll be the one who's fighting him. So I, I, I agree with that, yeah. yeah I think that's what's going to happen. I, th- I think Boba's going to either be, like, incapacitated or doing something else, and then he's like, well, you've got this, Fennec. You can handle this. You're just a 50-plus-year-old woman who can take on a Wookiee. That's fine. <laughs> if I see Fennec Shan go toe-to-toe with Black Chrysanthemum on screen, I will expire and pass away and leave this earth. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is it. I mean, this no one it. will metaphorically be stepping on your neck with that. <laughs> It'll be all I've ever wanted. One tiny note I have for their interaction. It's the same thing. The Huts do the same thing to Boba that he does to Black Chrysanthemum. The Huts call him Bounty Hunter. So they don't see him as an equal. Right. Or worth their time. So I found it interesting that he does it. He invalidates Black Chrysanthemum, what Black mm-hmm. Chrysanthemum has earned. And then the Huts turn around and do it to him. Um, uh, so I also want to talk about the character too, because I did a little research. Um and you know by what research, research is? and by research, I mean I watched the Star Wars Explained video on Black Chrysanthemum, and that was it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. I watched it over lunch. I watched it over lunch. Um, and so he brought up something interesting, where he was like, um, "Some people may think that because Black Chrysanthemum has crossed paths with Obi Wan Kenobi, that he's going to show up in the Obi Wan Kenobi show for some reason." And I agreed with 
him because he was like, no, I don't think that'll happen because it doesn't really make much sense for the story that Kenobi is going to try to tell us. Um, that being said, we clearly can't judge anything by anything because we know nothing. Um, well, that story's already been told too. Right. And, but I go back to the episode of Mandalorian where Cobb Van shows up where that quote unquote story has been told before, but then they just kind of retold it to us in a different way. So I don't know. Well, if... that, that had a narrative purpose. That was the same thing as the Kanan thing. Yeah. So the Kanan thing in Bad Batch, where they completely changed his Order 66 from the Kanan right. comics. And they did it for a narrative purpose. There's a very clear reason that they're doing that. I, yeah, I agree. I don't think Black Chrysanthemum is going to show up in Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't think so. But timeline-wise, I'm curious, like, when did that interaction happen versus, like, that had to have happened years ago? Like, like way before this, right? Like, because, it's, well, it's I, well this... obviously, because Kenobi's dead by this point. So right. I, I guess I just forgot about that for a second. Um, so, you <laughs> but know, it doesn't mean I, I mean, can't you've go got a you've got a better grasp on timelines than a guy I was talking to on Facebook the other day to whom I was patiently having to explain that Book of Boba Fett does not come after the rise of Skywalker. They're not <laughs> releasing these in chronological order. <laughs> I, I know that Luke Skywalker is... <laughs> Calvin's just got this shocked, horrified face. What? Calvin's just like sitting there mouth agape. That this was a real conversation I had somewhat with someone, That's but I hilarious. swear it's true. So, Calvin, I have a question for you. In terms of like this show, so like in your podcast, when you go through these things, if for example, like let's say, what are you guys on now? We are. We just finished season five of the Clone Wars. Okay, so, so in the Ahsoka has timeline, just left the Jedi Order. Ahsoka just it. left, and it ruined Andy's entire day. Got okay. So in terms of timeline wise, you're still in the Clone Wars ish era. If like so, for example, like Bad Batch came out recently, that takes place after Clone Wars, but like it came out, you know. So like for example, if something comes out before Clone Wars, are you gonna stop what you're doing and then go back and do the new thing, or you have it like, are you just gonna keep going and then come back to it later? Uh, we haven't really kind of discussed that yet. I mean, that's an interesting thing going on into especially <laughs> right. the next coming year of Star Wars media because we'll be hitting right. both Andor and Kenobi, which like we're looking at, we're going to probably get to Revenge of the Sith around March, April-ish. Right. Uh, probably maybe before that. Uh, but probably won't hit the original trilogy until December or so. So Andor and Kenobi will probably be coming out while we are recording episodes for Bad Batch or Rebels. Right. So, so it'll uh, kind of will... tie up nicely for you, at least yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I, and the next, like, uh, I mean, I mean, Acolytes coming out whenever that does come out. And that is the only pre Phantom Menace right. thing that's TV show wise. And that, I mean, we haven't seen a yet. lot about that yet. 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 Okay. Okay, Charles will yeah. make the High Republic show at some point. High Republic animated uh, series win. High Republic <laughs> animated series about the Vessel crew win. You know I funny? imagine that we would stop. Um, yeah, you would and, stop okay. and go back. Especially if we were knocking like uh, up specifically where certain things fall in the timeline. I see. Uh, in re regarding specifically to Andor. 
um, and Bad Batch season two. Right. Okay. Interesting. I, I was just thinking because like it's weird how like this takes place, you know, after Return of the Jedi. But if you were watching this in theoretically chronological order, you would have to watch Return of the Jedi, then Mandalorian, then Book of Boba, and then move on to the new trilogy. So it would be interesting yes. to see like. I've never thought to watch it in like chronological order now, including TV shows, because we didn't really have that option until last year. So it's kind of like a weird. Oh, I did that during quarantine. That's what gave me this idea. (laughs) What my thing, my thing was Disney Plus dropped on November 17th. Rise of Skywalker came out a month and some days later. And in that intervening time, I rewatched the first two prequels, Clone Wars, Revenge of the Sith rebels rogue solo rogue one all of that i watched everything in order basically and it was down to the wire so much that i was watching the last episodes of resistance before seeing rise of skywalker on my phone in the parking lot waiting to see the movie i i I am an insane my friend have dedication dedication (laughs) it's i i i did this uh and it was insane for me that was really interesting to go through it and so yeah. I really enjoy listening to podcasts where we go through in chronological order just because it's interesting to get that perspective on it, mm-hmm. especially with Andy having never seen anything before. So Andy's going to see something like this. Oh, it's a good, it's a good point is I, I'm wondering what Andy's going to think of like Mando and Book of Boba leading into the sequel trilogy. Right. And yeah, what whatever the sequel or whatever this cycle of the Mandalorian, Ahsoka, um, uh, Book of Boba Book of Fett Boba is doing to set up the First Order, and how, I mean, because a lot of fans have very specific ways that they view the sequels, and I just kind of wonder if more context going into the sequels will help to, at least. I, in the same way that Clone Wars really heightens the prequels and retrospect. Yeah. I think that definitely one thing that I was waiting on, because I remember when the sequels were coming out and people were throwing the same bitch fit that they always throw because the latest Star Wars movie to come out is always the worst one ever made. But I remember thinking to myself, I was like, give them about five or 10 years to do some supplementary material to fill in some of these gaps. And I'll bet they're going to make a lot more sense after the fact. Right. I'll bet you that's probably what's probably what's going to happen. Like after reading the Poe Dameron comic, I could appreciate Force Awakens a lot and Last Jedi a lot more. Reading Resistance Reborn, the novel, helped contextualize a lot of Rise of Skywalker for me and some of the just some of the arcs in that. I might look into that novel then because I definitely need Rise of Skywalker recontextualized for me. Yeah. it makes a little that one so that one did a good job of explaining like why is the like how did they rebuild the resistance but also like deals with the fallout of poe's story from last jedi in a way that rise of skywalker really doesn't like he's back in and trusted by people during rise of skywalker and the book does a good job of explaining how he re-earned that trust and then on top of that uh there's a new one coming out called shadows of the sith that's supposed to talk about lando and luke's journey and also give more about ray's parents the last line i want to bring up from this sequence is fennec's line the the one that i mentioned earlier that's a direct reference where she talks about whether huts we would need permission to kill them 
Calvin Woodson. Leia didn't need permission to kill Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> Why does Boba need permission now? He has a gun, you know? Uh, <laughs> because so true. Leia Organa does what Leia Organa wants. And That's also, true. there were no witnesses. That's true. That is they actually, all died. Uh, I um, am remembering Bloodline now and the whole, well, yeah. Boba There's... should be able to do what Boba wants. Uh, I agree 100% that he should have just shot them. <laughs> That's probably why Black Chrysanthemum was there to stop him from doing that. Uh, also, we wouldn't have a show if the, he did that. So Permit me to, to, to become Aaron for a minute. Oh, who the fuck am I kidding? I just would have done this anyway. Uh, so this is a reference to a real life, actual historical thing, uh, which was in, I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining this. But the short version is, if you were in the, the mob, you were a made man. That meant that you would have to get permission from the head of the family in order to kill a made man. So if somebody is a made man and you wanted to kill them, you had to go and get permission and lay out your case for why you should be able to do that. And the head of the family could sign off on it or not. And if you remember, um, Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas, I think, that's what gets him in trouble, is he whacks a made man, and you're not allowed to do that. Mm. So this is a reference to that, that I guess with the huts, it operates by the same rules. If you're a hut, people have to get permission to kill you, unless you're Leia Organa, in which case you do what you want. There's your obligatory history fact for the day. Um, I was going to save it for the end because it's in the credits technically, but I, it's in this technically this in the sanctuary scene. So I feel like I should bring it up because it's from last week. So the Twi'lek people uh, that work in the, <laughs> the cantina, yes. we'll call uh, you know, in the sanctuary. The, the um, obviously a brothel, but we're not going to say it's right, right, right. I'm trying to like dance around that. Um, so in the credits, that both the actors are listed as servers so they are mm-hmm. canonically <laughs> just servers. servers they're just servers they're in just the, servers in this lovely place so they're we don't need servers. to read into that any more than it, we already did uh they just work there they're just servers they just go around and you know serve people that's all they do serve at the pleasure of the people that's right <laughs> Back in the Bacta tank, we learn more about Boba's time with the Tuscans, teaching him how to fight, and a hover train that's passing through their territories causing a ruckus. I love it when Star Wars is trains. <laughs> you like the space train? I love space trains. I love space trains so much. They make me so happy. I am. Um... <laughs> I thought this was a reference, I guess, apparently. A train in a desert is like a reference to some like movie that I've never seen before. I'm sure you might know what it is. It's well, I mean, like this kind of thing would, I mean, there would be like the train would go and they would shoot at the Native Americans by just to protect the train. Right. Or in their view, they were protecting the train. We can totally. It's interesting because it's playing into the Western trope of the train in the desert. But it's also reversing it because as opposed, yeah, as opposed to it being, oh, it's those dastardly, dastardly natives attacking the train and we must defend the innocent passengers. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, the trains won on their land. Two, 
it's just capitalists carrying drugs. <laughs> uh, and three, they're just shooting them because they just make assumptions about them that are not true. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's really fascinating because it's like they took this trope and they subverted the trope, which was really cool. Yeah, I like what they're doing with the Tuscans in that they're not only humanizing them, but they're giving us way more like to care about them than we needed. Like they're like, let's just give you more stuff to care about. Like, let's show you how they live. Let's show you like what they do in their day to day. You know, they just sit there and they train while they're like, you know, some people are digging for watermelons or whatever. Farming. They literally have farming equipment (laughs) that they have tied up to the creatures and they go to till the the sand to find the black melons or to like, I guess, it, it seems like they're tilling it to soften it up so that people can go in and hand dig for the black melons. That's what they were doing. I was trying to figure out why they were just like shifting around the sand. Okay. Because that makes sand, so when you much walk more around sense a, now. Yeah. Sand when you walk around on top of it is really, really like it shows the ingenuity of the Tuscans. Yeah. Because no, they're an awesome. I love the Tuscans now. Yeah. yeah. And interesting, interesting though. And one thing I think is really cool is that they are the Tuscans, not the Tuscan Raiders. That the Raider, calling them Tuscan Raiders, turns out to be an unfair stereotype. Right. Mm-hmm. That they're the Tuscans and they've got a rich creative history and a rich creative culture. They're not Raiders. Very specifically, they talk about in the episode how this tribe especially doesn't do that and i think that's really cool and especially the conversation around them talking about the tuscans as a culture i also i love the idea of boba fett being humbled like when he's fighting the warrior and he clearly doesn't know how to use the gaffy stick and he's this infamous legendary bounty hunter but he's got this weapon that he's never used before and he's bad at it and he's frustrated because he's boba fett he should have this. Uh, I think tomorrow Morrison, don't like quote me on this, but I think tomorrow Morrison is like a master at, I don't know what um, like the Maori staff fighting is called, but it's 100%. A- he requested in Mandalorian, he requested the Gavi stick be extended so that he could include that in his choreography. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Love that for him. Which is a testament to his acting chops that he looks like he really doesn't know what he's doing in this scene so he's like Mm -hmm. rejecting the muscle memory of knowing what he's doing the train makes a crate dragon like noise which is a little fake out because you think a crate dragon's coming but it's actually a train i thought it was going to be a crate dragon too and this is another dune reference i was screaming worm sign because the crate dragon is coming and it's a sandworm but Mm -hmm. yeah it was just a train i mean it things are full the thing is full of spice still Right. But it turns out to be the wrong kind of worm. Uh, sorry, sorry, Polytrades. <laughs> I don't think there are any trains in Dune. No, just dragonfly flop, uh, helicopters. Uh, that was such a good movie. Bradley, do we want to talk about who's on the train? Because this was also on your bingo card. You're right. I got another hit on my bingo card. And again, this is just a random ass thing. I threw on my bingo card, not thinking it would actually show up in this show. So I am 100% like, percent 
like so proud of myself for actually making this bingo card because I thought like I was just gonna do this I was gonna get like one hit and that was it and this wasn't gonna be worth my time to talk about on the show um but clearly it is because I've got what like uh almost you're doing four great I've got, I've got seven hits already on there so it's like damn I, I'm counting the free space as a you know a hit but um <laughs> technically only six the free um, space was Boba Fett <laughs> right there you go um but yeah no pikes let's talk about the pikes i thought that was one a random thing to throw in but nonetheless uh, uh clearly i also thought of this random thing because i put it on the bingo card why like uh you know just like a curious why why them i i think it goes to show remember we saw the swoop gang last week and then mm-hmm. you know later on this episode we will see them again it goes to show that, again, in the absence of Jabba the Hutt, Tatooine is starting to descend into lawlessness mm-hmm. in the criminal underworld. And part of that is other organizations that would not have operated on Tatooine are beginning to operate on Tatooine. So you've got the first step is basically immediate anarchy, which is people that were already there, the swoop gangs. And like what happened to, to Cobb Vanth and mm-hmm. his village. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, when they blew up the second Death Star, because, yeah, that would have been occurring around the same time. You know, we always assumed that the defeat of the Empire was why that the the Red Key Raiders moved in. But what if it's the death of Jabba the Hutt? Yeah, that's true. Like, maybe maybe the blowing of the Death Star gave them permission because they knew they weren't going to get checked by the Empire, which probably would have been in the towns. But, like, in terms of, like, the outer towns, like, it also um, happens the same know. day. So it could have just taken them that long to get together and get out to Mos Pelgo. That's true. One final detail in this sequence that I noticed. I love that in the funeral scene, Boba helps carry the dead Tuscans to the mm-hmm. fire, mm-hmm. Uh, but he does not place them on there. He hands them to other, other of their members of their tribe mm-hmm. who are the ones that actually lay them to rest. After the train attack, the Tuscans burn their dead, and Boba has a plan to help the raiders out. He decides to attack some local bandits at the cool spot called Tashi Station, stealing their speeders and restoring an old deleted scene characters back into canon. Yeah, sorry, I skipped ahead to the fire scene. <laughs> I'm so excited to bring up the detail. Whoops. Whoops. I, everything is totally planned on the show. We are not making it up. Um, of course not. Uh, we are we are Disney, and we had a plan, one hundred percent, this whole time. Mm-hmm. We are George Lucas. We wrote everything down, and we yep. knew all three movies before they happened. We definitely didn't insert whole sequences into Episode Six uh, just to fix all of the plot holes that we created by Episode Five. <laughs> Let's talk about Tashi Station. <laughs> yes. Okay. So here's the thing. I didn't know this is what it was at first. Neither did I. I, I, neither, I. I thought it was a random place. Neither did yeah. I. I had to go back and check. I knew. I knew who Fixer and Cami were. You did. Okay. But I did didn't. know that. Right. But I didn't put together that. Oh, this is Tashi Station. Right. I had no idea. I because well, to be fair, I'd never seen the deleted scene, so it wasn't like something that clicked in my brain that I was yeah, like, same. "That's Tashi Station," you know, until I went back and watched the deleted scene, and I was like, "Oh." Like the the bandits or whatever we're gonna call them, they were playing like the same quote unquote like Pac-Man video game or whatever is going on in the corner. Like you can hear the sounds of the video game that they're playing. And then 
if you look in um, the deleted scene, it's a very similar like spot where two guys are playing it like a video game in the background. I just thought it was so interesting. Yeah, it, it just goes to show, Calvin, that you may have seen a lot of Star Wars, but there's still more Star Wars for you to watch. I still haven't seen. Yeah, there's there's always more Star Wars always to watch. Uh, no, I I love this whole sequence. I love seeing Fixer and Cami. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that they're still there and still going to Tashi Station years yeah, like, later. What else do they have to do? You know? Yeah, it it almost kind of lends a poignant note to like the opening of the novelization of the last Jedi is like an alternate future that Luke dreams about of, of what like would have happened if he'd stayed on Tatooine and he ends up marrying Cammie, uh, which we know is not Canon because Luke Skywalker is gay. Obviously. Obviously. Uh, I I'm pretending that heir to the Jedi didn't happen. I don't know uh, what I that do, is. So. I do not acknowledge that book. Uh, that is that is the one singular instance in canon where luke briefly gets a a girlfriend Mm. well if it's in the defense in the defense of heir to the jedi i i will do a i will do an episode on things i don't necessarily like per se in the defense of heir to the jedi it was written to be a legends book and repurposed into canon Mm. so and he's also like 19 in it so I'm giving he's still deciding a, who he is. He's he's exploring. A, he's right. gotten away from home for the first time. He's exploring a little bit. It's like he's in college, you know. He's got to experiment. Right. Some. He got to experiment. Do a little bit. experimenting. Maybe decides he's not into that. Joins a cult. There you go. <laughs> but I think it's it's a poignant look that people who are not Luke Skywalker, some of them just stay in place, yeah. and then trouble comes to them. That's true. Yeah. I thought about it like in this scene because someone brought it to me. They were like, why would they still be there? And I was like, why would hillbilly people who are poor like not leave their hometown? You know what I mean? It's like the same thing. Like it's they they just can't. They have nothing else to do. Like they're just I be my dad was a farmer. I'm a farmer. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So it's like they don't go, also they don't leave town. Also, Biggs left and he died. Uh, Luke left and now he's a Jedi and like was there when Darth Vader and the Emperor died like why would you want to leave home that doesn't seem fun well to be fair Luke is an outlier because he was brought to the planet he technically wasn't born there where I'm assuming Cammy and Fixer were born there right because they just presumably their right their life is and then with Biggs, he just joined the fucking army. So he was like, bye. And then like, <laughs> that's the risk you take, I guess. <laughs> and he joined the army. So it's like. You join the army, you defect, you join the rebellion. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. Sorry. He didn't join the army because the army is evil in this scenario. <laughs> so it's like, he didn't join the army. I do have to say that Boba fighting with the rifle and then the gaffy stick is fucking rad as hell. Like they promised us very good action in this show and i do Mm -hmm. think they are delivering one thing that i do do want to note with that too i took a little bit of martial arts training when i was in college and one of the things that my instructor taught me was a lot of it psychological so if you can make yourself look terrifying and make a lot of noise 
you know, make kind of frightening looking faces, knock your opponent off balance, that can help give you an edge in a fight. And it's interesting that when Boba fights, his face kind of like scrunches up into this terrifying, like visceral look of rage. So it's very interesting that that's kind of coming through. And I don't know whether or not that was part of Tamara Morrison's training in his life. Part of that culture, I'm not from that culture, so I can't really speak to it, but I would be interested to learn more about it and how much of it informs the way that Boba fights. Um, I only have one qualm with this whole entire scene, and that is uh, I feel really bad for the guy who owns Tashi Station who has to now move all these fucking unconscious aliens like out of his bar slash store. Like, I don't really quite sure what Tashi Station is because he said he had to go pick up power converters. So it's like also a Best Buy. Like, I'm not sure what Tashi Station is. But oh, they're, they're, it's definitely like a gas station <laughs> slash restaurant slash convenience yeah. store. I mean, like it's probably the only one for a good like fifty mile radius. It's and a gas so station. it's also the it's local gas watering yeah. hole. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, Charles, have you read the Kenobi novel? Uh, I have not read the Kenobi novel. Okay. Yeah. There's a um. Th- there's a very similar. Uh, 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 I forget what the name of the settlement is, but there's a very similar place to that. And um, one of the main characters in the the Kenobi novel like runs that little establishment that they have. Interesting. Yeah. That also goes into some Tuscan culture, which is fun. People have been bringing that up all day today, or all the past couple of days since the episode aired. People have been bringing that up, that the Tuscan culture was also explored in Kenobi. And that was one of the points where they started getting humanized. I mean, the real the real big first time was Asherod Het. Yes, Asherod Het is, I haven't I consumed any of his legends media, but he is referenced in Kenobi. Yes. Uh, the novel. Asherod Het, Bradley, for you and our listeners who are maybe not familiar with legends. So Asherod Het was kind of an attempt to subvert the way the Tuscans were portrayed in Attack of the Clones and A New Hope. By the time we got to the Clone Wars, he was like a guy, he wasn't a Tuscan himself, but he was raised by them and had a lot of their culture. And then he became a Jedi and he was like having to team up with Anakin Skywalker who hates Tuscans because they killed his mom and that whole thing. So he was the first character to come in and say, no, the Tuscans actually have a really nice culture. Actually, no, that's not fair. That was the first time I really learned about it. I think I would have to check. I think Nice of the Old Republic may be the first time that they delved into Tuscan culture. Yes. I, I mean, depending on like when individual stuff timeline. came out, but yeah. Because KOTOR had to be after episode one. I don't know if that was I, I want to say 2000 for KOTOR. Uh, we can do this this fun thing called uh, Charles <laughs> Googles it real fast. Yeah, we couldn't go a whole season without you mentioning this stupid video game. Like we were so close. We were already in the second episode and you just... Damn, I was going to bring it up this episode of Charles wasn't. So. <laughs> I thought, personally, I'm sorry, I thought 
that uh, I did a really good job by making it all the way until episode our episode three right of this before i mentioned it uh it came out in 2003 oh after attack of the clones that's interesting Hmm. it came out after attack of the clones uh i'm just looking to see if i can tell when asherad het first appeared his first appearance Aha! Nope, Asherad Het was the first one because Asherad Het first appeared in Star Wars uh, number 10, published on September 22nd, 1999. There we go. Yep. There you go. So there's your legends education for the day. <laughs> I'm sorry like you section. had to learn that. I'm we sorry like you had section. to learn that. Yeah, I was like, we need like a section of every episode where it's like our legend section of the like le- legend lesson of the day. I'm about to steal RuPaul's Padres entire gimmick and just wholesale lift. Um, is it legends or did I just is it make legends it up? or did you just make it up? That's right. We might as well steal it at this point because you know, honestly, <laughs> or do my version of it where I made you do the two truths and a lie. Right in our episode zero. Up next, Boba returns to camp with the speeder bikes that he stole and goes through a whole montage on teaching the Tuscans on how to ride them. With this new technology, they attack the train and take it down. Boba strikes a deal with the train's occupants, the Pikes, that they must pay a toll to use the Tuscans' land if they want to continue moving their spice. I would straight up die for the Tuscan child. (laughs) So cute. He was so happy when he figured out how to use the mirror. (laughs) <laughs> like, like did it i was like man this kid is so annoying in episode one and by the end of it i was like yeah okay that's kind of cute and when we got to the mirror scene by the time we were done the mirror scene i was like i would throw my whole body in front of this child to protect them <laughs> i truly i would uh all i mean mad props to that actor we we discussed him last time uh, but let me let me refresh our audience on who that is. That is a kid named Wesley Kimmel, who is doing the Tuscan kid. So very we talk about a Mandalorian how impressive it is for Din Djarin uh, to be like covered by his helmet the whole time and still act and emote and make us care. And here are a bunch of Tuscans doing exactly the same thing. And they, they don't even speak a language we can comprehend until this episode. Uh, I don't give a fuck what the internet says. Uh, the bit where he goes like a bantha and bounces up and down on the speeder bike is funny as fuck. Hilarious. Absolutely fucking hilarious. It's like, it, it goes. It goes like this. <laughs> and his, his, his next line of, uh, never mind, makes it for me. I, I love Those it. shots are framed really well. Just like the... Um... Just seeing them all in the line there, I, I just th- those kinds of shots and stuff I find hilarious. Uh, Kelvin, do you, do you want to tell us for this sequence all the way up to the end of the train sequence? Uh, before I go too much further, do you want to tell us any any Dune references you spotted here? Um, I was gonna go a little bit more into this with the lizard stuff later. Um, oh, but there's, there's just, one big I mean, one. There's one big one. Do you want to tell us about? What what is the train? What is the train carrying? Is it a massive Dune reference? Oh yeah, it's spice. I mean, it's 
yeah, I mean, George yeah. Lucas ripped the drug Spice off. I, why was he not creative enough to at least create a different name for the drug? But, you know, um, but yeah, it is, it is, it is a train carrying Spice. Um, as you made a, you made the uh, comparison earlier about the train being a worm shape and having Spice in it. So, I mean, the worms in Dune create the Spice. Um, and there's also just like the, I mean, there's always been the comparison between the Tuscans and the Fremen um, in a native culture to this desert planet that goes out into the desert fully covered. The uh, Fremen have their still suits with their mouthpieces. The Tuscans also have their bandages and they have their mouthpieces and they are good at fighting. And here we have a an outsider coming in and training them in the way that Paul does the Fremen too. There's a lot more I mean, like George Lucas was making the comparison between Luke Skywalker and Paul Atreides in A New Hope. But I mean, here it's a lot more about between Boba and Paul. And it's, it's a lot more explicit to me. Maybe it's just because Dune has been in my mind recently uh, is the Boba comparison and the Luke comparison. And I think it's also worth noting that both Boba and Paul, to an extent, embrace the cultures in which they find themselves. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. being a big difference is a lot of discussion about does this, a lot of somewhat toxic discussion. So I'm not really going to delve into it too much of does this count as the whole savior outsider comes in and solves our problems for us. And one point that's brought up over and over again, that's a positive in the way that Bo interacts with the Tuscans. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the same sort of applies to Paul Atreides as well, where they come in and they kind of teach them how to defend themselves, but they also embrace their culture. Yes. Yeah. There's very much a um, combining of like uh, Paul's own knowledge that he's gotten from uh, being brought up under his own, uh, under his father, under Duncan Idaho, under River Hawat, under, I want to be under all those people. (laughs) Under Duncan Idaho, yes. Um, But yeah, and uh, and, um, Gurney Halleck, that was the other one. But, um, you know, he gets all of that training and combines that with the Fremen culture that he joins and goes on to lead, uh, which we can obviously see here with Boba teaching the Tuscans how to ride speeders. And use that strategy to take on the train. Take on the train. Also, one thing about the train. I found it really interesting that, like, this is the event that cements the Tuscans, like, cements cements the the Tuscans' trust in Boba and allows them to allow him to go through their ritual. Because, like, Boba's arguably one of the other more humiliating moments in Boba's life was in that Clone Wars arc or episode when they were on the train and he got locked up in that box and sold as a slave by Ventress. And so that was like a really low point. And then we got a really high point on trains with like, um, put down upon people. I'm not thinking of the right word for that. Oppressed people. There we go. Oppressed people, marginalized people. Marginalized people. Yeah. Yeah. And, one of the interesting things about the pikes and the way they react which side note can we talk about their ugly little fish faces oh i love it i couldn't tell that they were the pikes until the pikes. i went on twitter and they said that they were the pikes i will say hmm. those ugly yeah. little ugly pike faces 
they they look like capitalist drug dealers yeah we can't survive without our water car right i was i felt so bad for them because i was like why are all these aquatic slimy creatures trying to come to this desert planet it's like money guys like it's money y'all are suffering y'all are coming onto the tuscan's land for no reason and just suffering to make money like no one wins here that i'm like you guys your skin's gonna dry out like but it's an interesting thing that they say where the guy is kind of trying to like make excuses Mm-hmm. And one of the ones he tries to use is, well, we thought you were uncivilized raiders. He specifically says, we thought you were uncivilized raiders. Because everybody talks about the Tuscans in-universe as Tuscan raiders. Right. But, and that in-universe led them to believe that the Tuscans were going to attack. So they said, okay, we see Tuscans on our route. We have to attack them first. Right. And so that's why they're rolling up and they're the aggressors. They come in and they say, oh, we're defending. They're defending because of an unfair stereotype that has been placed on the Tuscan people. Mm -hmm. And these other outsiders come in and feel like they need to preemptively defend themselves with no evidence that the Tuscans would actually do this, which is a very interesting line that they included there. And I'm glad they included it. I also took this as a weird, slightly racist take too, because I think like the Pike almost assumes that Boba is a Tuscan. Like I was getting that vibe. Like he thought that like Boba is the leader and, or this is what Tuscans look like under their mask is just some old man who's sunburned. And like, I don't know if that's yeah, what he you thought. Can, well, yeah, you can see the Pike's confusion that they're right. able to communicate at all. Yeah, like, they're like, the wait, Pikes, we can talk to you? The Pikes have developed this stereotype, yeah, racist view of the Tuscans. And so anything that starts to challenge that is really confusing mm-hmm. to them. So for Boba to be there and be on the Tuscan side it's very clear that the guy is completely confused as to what is going on uh, he's also not being like he's being really humble about it too he's not being like i am boba fett i am protecting these tuscans he is simply being like this is their land you need to pay them if you want to use it end of story right. i happen to be the guy that speaks basic yeah that's right. why and boba never yeah boba never says i say this i say that he really does like he's just speaking he's just the mouthpiece right by which he's communicating which is another thing that's awesome because there is a communication barrier between the tuscans and the pikes here Mm -hmm. and all boba is doing is being the one to resolve it and he is saying get the hell off their ancestral land which is 100 correct and he was right to say that right I also think too, this is, so now I, I was confused before when the show started, like why we needed to see the Tuscan scenes. And I think I'm starting to get it. And I think what I'm getting is that like, clearly Boba is developing these relations with the Tuscans slash the natives of the planet, right? So I think what that's going to come into play later is that, you know, when he needs his quote unquote army or his people to back him as the quote unquote leader of Tatooine, you already have the native people on your side. 
that's really important for controlling power in the entire planet because clearly they're the people who it's their planet right so it's going to be interesting to see like maybe we're going to get to a point in the show where the tuscans are just kind of walking around town and like interacting with the people like because they just are back to their status as you know the people who are living on this planet and it's their planet it would be interesting, especially off the back of Mandalorian, being the first time that Tuscans and uh, the settler people worked together toward a common goal. So there's an interesting there's an interesting note about this sequence as well, with uh, Boba demand saying that that's their land. If you're going to use it, you're going to pay them. Do you remember all the way back in Mandalorian season one, episode five? There's a kind of out of nowhere scene where Din and shitty little twink boy, I don't remember his name, uh, run up on some Tuscans. And Den's like, we need to, we need passage across the land. Give me your binoculars. And he tosses the binoculars to him. And they let him go. This is the origin of that toll that Den pays in The Mandalorian. Right. Like, it's almost like they started telling people, like, hey, you have to start paying a toll to the Tuscans if you ever want to get through or do something. If you want to get through the Dune Sea without being attacked, you need to pay a toll to the Tuscans because it's their land. Right. And Den, very respectful of other cultures, as Din Djarin is, pays that toll up. Although he does pay it with someone else's binoculars. <laughs> it's really interesting that like Tatooine is, and also with the Tuscans, is like the um, like backdrop for Boba's own like rebirth here as a different person. Because it's like, we got this like really wild place, you know, or like this place that seems untamed to the outside eye. And you've got this person, uh, you know, this is the kind of place that within literature and stuff people go to either um like go and be isolated or like go and try to take over and so it's what i think would just be really cool is if like boba tried with the effect of the effect of boba on like with the tuscans here with what you're saying is like bringing tatooine like out of the quote-unquote outer rim and making it more of a tamer and more forgiving place, pulling it out of the grip of some of these criminal and derogatory oppressive elements. Yeah, if he's if he's almost trying to clean it up by becoming the godfather so that he can make sure things run in a more honorable way. Right. That would be a, a pretty solid reason. He wants to rule with respect, not fear. I have sort of wondering like why he suddenly decided he wanted to be a crime Lord. And that could be an explanation for it. Two other small notes on this sequence. Uh, train droid is amazing. Tiny little, tiny tiny little spider moving droid. I I love them. He's cute. And we also got a little more information on the black melons. Uh, They're explicitly identified as black melons in the show uh and the inside is described as milk this is another uh comic reference to the obi-wan kenobi comic uh, 
this show really did just say comic book rights yeah. over and over again uh, oh, between the the black melons and uh black motherfucking chrysanthemum i will not get <laughs> over this i keep mispronouncing his name in my head as black chrysanthemum chrysanthemum <laughs> don't I've tell known. him that he'll rip your arms off just a delicate little flower <laughs> oh yeah he's totally a delicate little flower the minute i saw him i went the monster fuckers are about to be fed and then my next thought was, wait a minute, am I technically a monster fucker if I oh, find God. Black Chrysanthemum very attractive? <laughs> I had to ask some questions about myself that I'm still asking. No one, no one wants to know the answer to this. I'm going to eventually, eventually show my boyfriend Book of Boba Fett and we will have the same. I've sort of started laying the groundwork of him. So I was like, so I know you're really into like daddy types. How do you feel about going a little extra mile with that hair? God. <laughs> uh, the tusk. I, I just love that moment when the Tuscan and black just like poked their head up over the thing and then just poked their head back down. And then all the pikes just like got pulled away. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't talked about the Tuscan warrior in this episode, but she's a fucking badass and continues to be a badass. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Joanna Bennett kicks ass. Around the campfire, the Tuscans give Boba a congratulatory peyote lizard to get him high so he wanders out in the desert for a tree branch. He brings it back and they help him craft a gaffy stick, thus solidifying Boba as one of their own. I badly, badly uh, want to get someone of indigenous descent on the show which i'm i'm pretty sure we're gonna have someone i don't want to make i don't want to write checks that my mouth can't cash or whatever the saying is uh but i do want to ask them about uh, their take on tropes like this i i really liked this sequence personally uh but i it's one of those issues where i i look at this whole sequence and i'm like there's a lot of very smart things probably being said about this. Uh, I'm not the person to say it, and I'm not the person to regurgitate mm. it. If people do write think pieces on this uh, and I see them, I will link them on my Twitter. Yeah. I just uh, feel like every time in sci-fi you get any kind of uh, hallucinogenic trip, it can definitely be also compared to Dune. You know, the whole imbibing stuff and getting visions as part of a coming of age ritual is also a part of Fremen culture and Dune. So I think this also does the whole thing where it proves our theory of, or not our theory, but just the general thought that spice in Star Wars, like what it's for, right? So when he flicks the spice in his face and then he's just like, the lizard is going to be your guide. And he's like, the guide for what? And it's like this hallucinogenic trip. Right. So it's just a very interesting thing. Like, also, I didn't quite understand how the lizard was guiding him because we didn't actually see the lizard in any of the dreams. So I wasn't quite sure how the lizard was guiding him. And also, clearly, when you do hallucinogenic drugs like this, and not that I would know because I've never done them, government, um, but 
if I had, you know, depending on your mindset, right, is how you're going to have your, your how your trip right. is going to go. And so for Boba, clearly he has a lot of repressed, like, feelings slash emotions uh, through all the different scenes that he sees. Well, so we see a lot of the flashbacks again. We see Camino mm-hmm. again. We see, I love the shot of him, like, holding, it's the shot of him holding Jago's helmet again, but now it's Boba's face, like adult face right. in the helmet. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious and I want to know and I'm going to try to find these resources uh, if they're available, how much of this particular sequence in particular, uh, everything from the conversation they have in the tent all the way through the end of the episode, what if it draws from actual indigenous peoples throughout the world? That's something that I'm really curious about now. Yeah. So that's something that I'm like, oh, I, I really want to know more about this. And it's something that, again, if I see these resources, I'm going to try to share them on our Twitter. But looking at it in, in the context of the actual episode itself, I just want to back up real fast and talk about their conversation before he gets the lizard flicked in his face. Because we learn a lot of interesting things about the Tuscans here in a very short period of time. Uh, we learn there's a lot of different Tuscan tribes. They are not just one group of people. There's a lot of them. Uh, we learned that some of them are killers. The ones that we encounter in A New Hope are. But that they're not all like that. And we learned that Tatooine canonically used to be an ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, they pull it from Knights of the Old Republic, right? Yep. This was the backstory in Knights of the Old Republic, that it was a lush planet. The Rakatan Infinite Empire came in and said, uh, serve us. And Tatooine was like, get bent. And the Rakata Infinite Empire was like, you first, and glass the planet. And the glass eventually turned to sand. Uh, and the people who survived underground for that time reemerged and became the Tuscans. So we now let, we learn that that's a little bit canon. Now, at least that it used to be an ocean. They also dress Boba after he gets his, he finishes his little getting the gaffy stick thing. Uh, they dress him in black. And one thing that was pointed out to me is if you look closely, uh, he's still wearing part of that underneath his Beskar armor. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, so you're talking about like in Mando when he gets his armor back. Then he's when he gets still, his armor back, he puts yeah, it on on top of on the top Tuscan of robes. the Tuscan robes, right? Yes, as opposed says, to like, the white underoos that he's been wearing. Right, yes. right, right. Yeah, he throws so, those nasty things out because they're gross, and then. <laughs> he's been wearing them for weeks he switches over to uh his robes and then when he finally gets his armor mandalorian he just keeps the skirt part yeah no he, no he's wearing the top part under it too like you oh yeah oh that's right you kind can of, kind of see it poking out here you're right the neck thing you can kind of see it poking out i did love that the shot of when he walks up to the blacksmith and we see the shot of the blacksmith and it's this bit of an engine that's like or a bit of a hull that's like sticking out of the ground uh, that is a direct reference to a piece of art. You want to guess who the piece of art is by? Ralph McQuarrie. It is uh, fucking obviously Ralph McQuarrie. <laughs> it's Thanks, a direct CJ reference there. to a piece of Ralph McQuarrie <laughs> concept art. The last thing I wanted to point out with this sequence uh, is that we don't really see who the red eyes belong to in the episode. In the tree. In the tree. Yeah. But if we look at the concept art, uh, they're jealous. Huh, yes. Okay. Well, he definitely has a repressed feeling about the Jawas. So 
Not surprising. Yeah. Please don't go Anakin Skywalker. The gel was Boba. Please don't do it. Don't perpetuate this cycle. I'm begging you. Do you think Boba's ever going to like figure out that Anakin once went all apeshit on a tribe of Tuscans? I don't think Boba knows who Anakin Skywalker is. Well, he's, he, wasn't there something where he like went to Obi-Wan Kenobi's house or something to figure out who Luke was or well, hmm. He knows, no. So yeah, so that is accurate. He, he, he interacts with Mace with and Obi-Wan in Clone Wars. He does. He might have met Anakin when he was trying to kill Mace Windu. Yeah. But I don't think he made the connection because he, he just finds Luke Skywalker's name and he takes it to Vader. And Vader's like, okay, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And Boba's like, okay, I got paid by. And then Vader right. shatters a window because he's so pissed off mm-hmm. that yeah. he's found out that the Emperor lied to him. But yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if Boba Fett knows who Anakin Skywalker is. Yeah, that's a good question, I guess, to get answered. So then we get uh, the final directed by and written by, again, written by John Favreau, not surprising, um, but it was uh, directed by Steph Green, which is of note um, because she is both a director on and a producer on The L Word Generation Q, which is the sequel series to The L Word. So there's your connection to um, our local tavern madam. (laughs) <laughs> who yeah i'm just i'm looking at her imdb page now yeah yeah she's directed on luke cage she's directed on the man in the high castle mm-hmm. yeah so it looks like she's jumped on she looks like she's a tv director so she just comes on and does one or two episodes of tv shows right she did some so. of scandal Ooh, this is this is neat yeah i saw that and i was like uh-oh did she do how to get away from murder no okay she didn't well. You were that was my close. favorite show, she, but she is one degree away from how to get away from her. So she I was guess. on Scandal, right? So there you she go. She was not on the eyes. crossover episode, right? I have two more overall notes for this episode. Did you, did either of you notice that Boba Fett does the hand thing throughout this episode? Boba Fett, where? It in the show, Bradley. Oh, oh, oh. Boba Fett's in the show. God, I'm never going to get tired of that joke. I'm never going to get tired of that joke. Every time I talk to people about this show and they just say like, oh, Boba Fett this. I'm like, Boba Fett, where? Jesus. You make me, you make me actively insane. (laughs) Okay, sorry. You are the reason I drink. What was, what was your note again? I'm sorry. Uh, Did either of you notice Boba Fett does the hand thing? What I'm calling the hand thing. I, I have no clue what the hand thing is, so I can I can confidently say no. Uh, so Boba Fett kind of does this thing. Let me describe it verbally for our listeners, where he holds the rifle in one hand and he takes the other hand and he rests it on his lower forearm as he stands. He does this motion in Return of the Jedi when he's standing oh, behind Jabba. And yeah. he does it throughout this episode. I did not he notice does, that. He does that. That's a little detail that I just noticed that I wanted to bring up. 
And then I want to talk about a conspiracy theory. People are saying that they can hear at a point in the episode, I've heard too, I've heard you can hear it during the flashbacks and I've heard a different part where you can allegedly hear it. Uh, but people are saying you can kind of hear Omega's theme in this episode. At what point? Uh, one of them I'm hearing is the Camino stuff that it plays oh. over the Camino stuff. And then there's okay. another point. I think I've read that people say that they heard the Omega theme. So Bradley, do you, do you still think Omega's maybe going to show up or be revealed at the end of this season? I mean, look, the way the show's going with these reveals of random ass characters from comic books and stuff, like, honestly, who knows what they're going to do? I mean, at this point, I think if they were smart and they didn't want to, quote unquote, blow their load on, you know, the bad bash season two like to kind of reveal anything or make the stakes any less stakey in uh you know bad batch um i think it would be fine showing her if or she shows up if it is a quote-unquote end credit scene slash like quick thing at the end of an episode you know what i mean like something where it leaves on a cliffhanger so we don't really know what her purpose is yet like so that they don't ruin anything for bad batch without making it a fun show or something like that you know what i mean i can already see the fucking screen rant headlines book yes. of boba fett spoils another lucasfilm project <laughs> i can also see the youtube videos star wars in disarray spoilers abound <laughs> i don't know anyway i just think it, it, it would be interesting if she showed up i don't necessarily need her to i just think it would be interesting because i think that throws another thing at boba like because I'm, I'm still struggling to figure out what the theme of this show is or what the message here is because i feel like with mando it was so clear you know it's very much like finding your own family kind of thing and here i'm not sure if that's the situation because like he kind of is doing that but he's kind of not i don't know it we'll see i think it'll take a little bit more to figure out what the theme of the show is moving forward but i feel like adding omega to that would be good for boba's character only because he doesn't have any family you know i mean he's essentially he never has really he's always been a quote-unquote clone so he's just it would be interesting to give him a sister, give him an actual family member because he hasn't had a real family since his quote unquote father died. It would be interesting given that the villains of the season are a brother and sister team. What's another way to team up with your sister to take down another brother or sister? Who knows? All right, Calvin, do you have any final thoughts on the book of Boba Fett or, and or uh, educating Bradley on a book? that he has not read and a movie he fell asleep during you fell asleep during doom i did i'm sad for one. you like the new one <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm just for you. Uh, no i liked it don't get me wrong it's just like god i was so tired i guess i don't know what happened like mm. i just fell asleep i was like what is going on like i'm oh. supposed to be enjoying this movie like <laughs> maybe if i rewatch it again give like, it another I'd shot. Be better. yeah give that's it your try. homework assignment go go rewatch. i'll try to watch dune again yeah yeah other than that no um, oh real quick before we um end everything i did want to bring up one 
character uh, or one actor that I saw in the credits that I, I was so confused on who they were because you know how sometimes it takes a few days for the the credits to kind of fill in the blanks of who everybody is and like right. you know all that stuff. So our favorite black Wookiee um, is one of the actors listed in the end. Um, yes, and I was confused because I was like, I was like, who is this guy? And then I finally I looked him up. I found him, and his name is Carrie Jones, and he is um, Black K in the episode. So I thought that was really cool. He's uh, been in a couple different things, mostly for makeup department, special effects stuff like that, but. He was in an episode of Teen Wolf. So there's our gay connection right there. Um, he was the alpha werewolf from the first season of uh, Teen Wolf, it looks like. So he just is, gotten hairier uh, then. Yep. He's just even more hairier now. So I love it. Good for yeah. him. Yes. Uh, I was just so excited to see Black Chrysanthemum that I, I did not bring up the actor that actually portrays <laughs> i felt like we deserve to tell people who he is we, so, we yeah. do we should definitely mention yes carrie jones um all over the place special effects makeup shop supervisors designers and it's just all around like badass guy yeah just go look at his credits he's he's been all over the place uh my final thought speaking of actors we didn't bring up and I apologize, I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, Alfred Singh is the guy who plays the leader of the Pikes. So in case we were curious, uh, looks like primarily a stunt performer, mm-hmm. but he was the leader of the Pikes in this. Nice. My final thought is more Black Chrysanthemum, please. And I would <laughs> like uh, Chelly Afra cameo. Uh, just confirm she's alive, please. Yeah. Uh, just confirm she's around or give her her own show. Uh, that would also be nice. Just let uh, Alyssa Wong write it. Uh, she's been doing the comics run. She's very good. Basically, what I'm saying is pander more to me specifically. This is a great amount of pandering directly to me, uh, but you right. can pander harder to me. Yeah, I was like, so far they're doing a pretty good job. Um, they're meeting all my expectations and giving me things that I thought we were never going to get. So keep coming like keep giving me more like that's all i want but like give me some more of this stuff because i love it all right calvin what are your pluggables do you want to tell us where we can find first yes star wars podcast i can uh we you can find us at firststepstarwars.com or on twitter at first steps sw steps has an s and then another s for star wars first twitter is at first steps sw and instagram is at first steps star wars all of the words are spelled out for that one. What the fuck do they have a website and we don't? I've been to their website. It's a really good website. Thank you. My mom made it. Well, maybe your we mom just need did to a good employ job. your mom. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to call your mom. She does this kind of thing for a living. So Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All righty. Well, Calvin, thank you so Wonderful much. Wonderful to be on with you guys and talk about this with you. Yes, thank yeah. you for coming on and talking about a current Star Wars thing. Right. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's going to be like, what, like another two years before you can talk about this with your podcast? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, may, may, you know, like we were saying earlier, maybe once Andor and or Kenobi, Kenobi and or Bad Batch and Andor, Andor, Andor <laughs> um, come out, I get to talk about something current while not discussing the scope of Star Wars. But, you know. 
All right. Well, once again, Calvin, thank you for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Everybody go check out First Steps, a Star Wars podcast. And Bradley, run our socials so I can start drinking. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. No! I don't like it when you agree with me and then say, <laughs> however. <laughs> so this is what we call a give and take. When you compliment somebody, you, you compliment their appearance and then you tell them like how ugly they are at the same time.